Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. I'm reading from Psalm 41. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sick bed and restores them from their bed of illness. I said, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely, while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are blessed, you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Good morning. To get started today, have you ever received a birthday card or something like that and you've You've read the words, not not what people scribble in, but like the words that the card come with, right? You, you read the card and you think, oh, that's nice. And you put the card down and then you just move on with your life. And then if like later in the day someone said, hey, what was that card about? You'd be like, oh, well, it was, it was a birthday card. I can tell you that, you know, but um, sometimes I think we read the Bible like a Hallmark card where we come across some scripture and it's like, oh, that's nice. And then it's like we, we, we set it down and, and move on. Um, Jesus tells us to love one another. Ah, that's a, that's a nice thing, Jesus. Okay. Recently in my, my life, uh, through devotional times, I was listening to um, one of my old professors on a podcast and kind of just putting different things together in my head. I was led to this assumption that the Bible isn't just something we read. It's something that we get to experience. Because the word is alive. God can, you know, it, it could just be ink on a page, but it's not. Because the spirit like, pushes through. It, it's alive. And, and specifically out of our spiritual experiences with, with Jesus, you know, we can be activated and, and motivated to represent Jesus in everyday life. Today's message is uh, the second part of a, of a sermon that we started last week. Uh, we are taking a look at a portion of the upper room story as found in John 13. We are mainly considering John 13, 125. If you've missed last week's sermon or any sermon, really, like a 
very high majority of our sermons, they are recorded. Uh, that's what this little device is up here. Um, it ends up on our sermon library on our church website. So I encourage all of you, you know, you, you don't need to uh, miss a beat in terms of our, our teaching ministries here. Uh, but let's, uh, let's turn to John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, your phones, uh, please turn to John 13. We'll just uh, review the, the story here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 13. Okay, it is Passover time. We're in the city of Jerusalem, and uh, Jesus is having a, a meal. We call it the, the last meal, the last supper. They are at a house, specifically in the upper room of this, this house, and Jesus is having a meal with them. Okay, and so um, Jesus, uh, Jesus knows that uh, he is going to be betrayed. Jesus is in the know. He knows that the Father has placed authority and power, all things into the hands of Jesus. So we find Jesus, he's, he's really in the know. He's in control, okay? He's, he's there to have a last meal with his disciples. And it says that he, he loves his disciples uh, in, in the fullest way. And what he does is that he takes off his, his outer garment and he wraps a towel around himself and he sets an example before the disciples. He, he washes their, their feet. I'm going to pick up the story in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay, put it into action. Verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he, that I am who I am. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples started to look around at each other at a loss uh, to, to, know what, to know which of them he, he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Verse 25. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And we'll pause there. So let's, let's review. Click. Okay. I mentioned last week that to be a reader of the Bible is to enter into a, story, enter into a world of story narrative, right? So lots of metaphor, imagery, symbols. Okay, our story takes place in Passover time, 
a celebration that has lots of history, lots of symbolism, lots of going on uh, to begin with. When God saves Israel, so Passover just sets the context. There is a lot going on. There's a Passover lamb. There's a meal with lots of symbolism. So much going on. Okay, We are in Jerusalem, the upper room. And as I said, Jesus knows what's going on. I think it's safe to say that he will not be surprised by anything. That Jesus knows that God the Father has placed all things into his hands. And so with his authority, with power, what is Jesus going to do? He chooses to love fully. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus uses his authority and power to set an example. This is a pattern for us to follow. Jesus washed their stinking feet. (laughs) He took the form of a humble servant. Jesus was preparing his disciples so that they can share in the new covenant that he is going to ratify with his own blood. With clean feet, wherever they go, they will be standing on holy ground. And finally, just as a recap, we also got into some insight into some of the spiritual symbolism behind the foot washing. Every one of us, we are dirty, okay? We're, we're in sin. We are dirty. And if you want to be cleaned, you need to take a full bath. And so what do we need to do? We need to receive the word of Christ. We need the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe in the good news. Faith is your bath. Faith is our, our spiritual washing. In faith we are saved. By grace, in faith we are saved. And then, those who have had the full spiritual bath, from there on out, all you need are just regular foot washings. Jesus is faithful to forgive us of our sins. He is faithful to clean us up. He'll wash your feet. He'll set you upright. Go ahead, child. You're free to go. You're good to go. I forgive you. You're washed up. Jesus cleans us. He forgives us. And he sends us out. And we can, we can have this experience with Jesus when we go to the Lord in prayer. We can ask for forgiveness. We can repent and believe this good news. It's amazing. It's amazing. We don't need to stay stuck. We don't need to stay buried under shame, guilt, fear. Like we, we can let it go. Jesus says, cast it away. You know, he's going to throw it to the bottom of the ocean. As far as the east is from the, re- the east is from the west, right? It's just, I will remove it. Wash it clean. Okay. But there's a plot twist in the story. We find out that not everyone in the room has had this spiritual bath. The, the full one. And it's Judas, right? Judas. Okay, so we're just going to spend a few moments talking about Judas. To be clear up front, we actually don't know that much about him. Okay, We know he's not from Galilee like most, if not all, of the others disciples. Okay, He's not from Galilee. We do know that he was the group's treasure. That's not a bad thing. We need treasures. Okay, He was a keeper of the purse. But we know he was a thief. He would help himself to the, to the common purse. 
All right. He also lacked compassion for the poor. And we find that in a chapter before, in John chapter 12. He didn't care for the needy. He lacked compassion. All right. So he's a thief. He lacks compassion. But yet he was chosen by Jesus. He followed Jesus for three years. He was trained. He, he saw amazing things. He heard amazing things. He was willing to play the part. But Judas never came to believe in this good news, to know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We know that before the upper room scene even started, Judas already sold Jesus out. Okay, According to Matthew 26, how much did Judas make off of selling out Jesus? How much? Do you guys know? 30 pieces. 30 pieces. Of silver, 30 silver coins. Now, we're not exactly sure what type of silver coin uh, Matthew was talking about, but kind of just playing around with it, as a rough estimate, Judas could probably buy a cheap used car with 30 silver coins, right? Like, he probably made a couple thousand, not much, but enough to buy, like, like the cheapest car on the lot kind of thing. You know, uh, you might have to get out of the suburbs, go more up in the country. But like, you know, like Judas could Judas. It really wasn't that much. OK, it really wasn't that much. Then hours after the story. So now we're well beyond John 13 at this point. Judas would lead a small group of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. And then Judas would famously kiss Jesus to identify him in the dark night of the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys know this story. Then the following morning, while Jesus was being mistreated and, and sentenced to die and all of that, at some point Friday morning, Judas changes his mind. He confesses that he's sinned, that he's betrayed innocent blood. He throws the silver coins into the temple. Okay, And so from there, we're kind of left with a mystery what exactly was going on in Judas's heart? Did he actually believe in his final moments? Not sure or not told. He does take his own life. And it's highly likely that Judas would not receive a proper burial. Okay, It's a very sad story, and it leaves us with more questions than, than answers. But for now, let Judas be a warning for us. For those who hear the word of Christ, for those who hear this good news, this good news of great joy. You know, and uh, really, it's going to come so fast, Christmas time, that the Christmas angels announcing the great, good, joyous news that is for all mankind, right? For those who hear the Christ story, the gospel, and reject it, that is bad news. Referencing Romans 2. When people are in the know, when they're stubborn, when they refuse and they just keep avoiding God, that unrepentant heart, it only seems to add fuel to the fire, so to speak, of God's judgment. You can check this out in Romans 2. If you choose yourself over Christ, at some point in the end, you will get what you want. Separation from God. On the day when his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. 
For those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. If it makes you squirm, it's in Romans chapter 2. God's wrath is real. And by yourself and self alone, there is no hope. Okay? We have, to, we have to wrestle with this text. Judas, he also warns us that we can be a part of the group. We can look good on the outside. We can do religious things. We can go through the motions. We can associate with the right people. You can kiss Jesus and still miss it all. Judas had the best pastor ever. He was a member of a great little tribe, right? But he never accepted the good words of Christ. And so when we we can receive the rituals, our name can be in the membership roster book. We can say the words. We can do the things. We can give cans to Harvest Sunday and things like that. We can do it all and, and it can just be empty, empty, empty. Okay? And to be honest, I know I've sold Jesus out for way less than 30 pieces of, of silver. You know, we, we call it a missed opportunity, but really it was just me being selfish for a couple moments. For now in the upper room, Judas did not receive the good word of Jesus. Because he didn't receive this, the identity-shaping words of Jesus to stay with the, the, the bathing metaphor, Judas was never cleaned up. He is still dirtied up in his old nature and his old identity. Judas thought he could afford to live in a lesser way than who Jesus said he was. When we live less than what Jesus says we are, the devil will exploit that. When we live less than what Jesus says we are, the devil will exploit that. And in our story, the devil embedded betrayal in Judas's heart. Excuse me, Judas betrayed Jesus, which gets us to our first point for today, but it's point five altogether if we're combining both messages last week and this week. Jesus was not unscathed from hurts and betrayal. When Jesus talks about betrayal, he quotes Psalm 41. Miss Deb read it moments ago. It's about a friend who betrays another friend after sharing a meal. Okay. In Jewish culture, to share your table, to have table fellowship, to break bread together, that's a sacred thing. Betrayal after you have had a meal together, that is such a great breach of of etiquette. And so in verse 18 of chapter 13, the idiom should say this, the one who lifted up his heel. Some translations, they kind of translate the idiom out of the way. It should say the one who has lifted up the foot, the one who has lifted up his heel. That is a Jewish way of showing contempt to contextualize for 2023. It's kind of like saying, man, the the one that I shared my biscuits with. At my breakfast table, they're now giving me the middle finger. You know, Jesus was treacherously betrayed by a really close friend. 
Brothers and sisters, we need to be realistic that, that Christianity, the church, it's not perfect. Okay, it's made up of people. And like Jesus, we will be hurt, maybe even betrayed. I hope not. But we'll be disappointed by others. We'll be let down, attacked, accused. Close friends and people who are supposed to be in your corner, they can cause us so much pain and trouble. I have too many peers who are seeking healing from this thing called church hurt. It's in vogue. Sometimes I think it's, it's tossed around too lightly, but it's also it's such a big deal. Church hurt. Whether it's a congregant, a pastor, or this, or like, like, people are hurt by the church. And all this really sinks. Why do we have to talk about it? Well, it would be a great disservice to you if we don't talk about this. We need to be aware that you will not go unscathed from the schemes of the devil and the sins of humanity. The church is people. People bring people problems. The pastor is a person. The preacher is a person. I will bring people problems into the mix. (laughs) We cannot skirt around this. I really hope I don't let you guys down. But I'm human, right? I once once heard a a pastor make this joke. He's like, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. (laughs) It may not be betrayal. It may be gossip. Or maybe just other people's laziness just gets in the way. Or their indifference or apathy. Greed. Lack of compassion. Specific expectations. Poor decisions made by others. It can just make ministry so hard. But back to Psalm 41. This psalm that Jesus quoted. The good news is we don't have to keep our pain and our hurts all to ourselves. Okay? We have a really good God that we can go to. We can bring our pain to God. That God is our our hope in all of this. As the Old Testament says, you know, humble yourself. Pray. Seek God's face. Turn from wicked ways. You know, turn to God. Go back to God. We come back to God and we're reminded who we are. Listen. Because we can't afford... For one second, we can't afford to listen to the devil say who we were or who we ought to be when Jesus tells us who we are. We are Christians, we are washed, we're victorious, and we have a job to do. In verse 20, sandwiched between these verses about betrayal, Jesus makes sure, he he, he wants them to make sure they get this right. To receive someone who Jesus sends is the same as receiving Jesus. So point six is this, that Jesus sends his people out to represent. There is a missional lineage, okay? A missional lineage here. To welcome those sent is to welcome Jesus. To welcome Jesus is to welcome the Father, okay? My parents introduced me to Jesus. Other people introduce them to Jesus, and people beyond that introduce those people to Jesus. There's a missional genealogy all the way back to our faith. People have been sent out. People have received Jesus, and then they, they too, they pass on this good news. They introduce their kids to Jesus. They introduce uh, grown-ups to Jesus, introducing people to Jesus. Our faith 
is part of a lineage that goes all the way back to Jesus himself. And guess what? Every single one of these people in our faith genealogy, they've faced spiritual warfare too. And they have been disappointed by others. They have been let down by the church and, and, and so on, right? We've been disappointed by humanity. How has Christianity survived all these years? Well, it's because to have faith is to believe in something that is so much bigger than yourselves. And it's not about us. We are here to give ourselves away, just like the original foot washer himself. We're going to humble ourselves and love and, and, and take care of others through self-sacrificial love. We're just going to give ourselves away. The gospel is way bigger than betrayal. The gospel is bigger than church hurt, bigger than all the wounds and blows that we'll ever take. People will reject you. People will reject the message you carry. People might reject Plymouth Meeting Church. As wonderful as we are, I know there's people that probably, they just scoff at our name because maybe something bad happened here. They had a bad experience. I don't know. It's not our job to know and understand everything, but be encouraged, church. You have been called and you have been sent by Christ himself. All of you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And you relate to Christ and you, re you represent Christ in everyday life. And this is why it's critical that we get to know the one we are representing. Which now brings us to our last point. In the story, Jesus is deeply troubled. He is upset. He says that somebody will betray him. So John who is known as this, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was reclining next to Jesus. Okay, they didn't have chairs. They probably just had cushions. And you recline at this low table. Okay, so John is reclining, sitting next to Jesus. And then another disciple named Peter, he's like, he's like motioning, hey, ask him. John, hey, John, ask Jesus who? Who? Okay. So we don't want to read through verse 25 super fast here. Leaning back against the chest of Jesus, leaning into the chest of Jesus, John asked Jesus, who is it? John literally rested his head on Jesus's chest and privately asked him a question. And we just need to sit with this imagery, point seven, that Jesus does not shy away from intimate fellowship. God allows John to listen to his heartbeat. It's this example of intimate fellowship that shapes the kind of relationship we can have with Jesus. And this is where, as uh, author Brennan Manning reminds us, we don't just want to vicariously read about this, like, oh, that's good for John. Like, look how close John was with our Lord. We don't just want to read it. We want to experience this. That we too can have this type of fellowship with Jesus. Don't read the text like a Hallmark card. Oh, that's cool, John, and then set it aside. Like, John got to lean back into Jesus and privately ask him a question here. Intimate relationship with Jesus. Seeking out his heart in all things. Asking the hard questions. Asking the silly questions. 
And I think as we seek out the heart of Jesus, we'll discover who he really is and what he's all about. That he really does have a heart for this world. That he has a heart for you and I. Jesus cares for the orphans and the widows. He cares for the broken ones. Moms and dads and sons and daughters. He cares for those who have anxious hearts. Those trapped in addictions of any kind. Those caught up in slavery of any kind. Those fighting for peace. Jesus is for them. Jesus loves them. He loves you and he loves you with a sacrificial love. So in prayer, you too, you can spiritually lean back into Jesus. Lean into Jesus and ask questions. Lay your head on the heart of God. Bring your troubles to him. Your intimate fellowship with Jesus, it fuels your identity, your mission, your purpose, your vision. Listening to the heartbeat of God. It's not just rhetoric. No, like listening to the heartbeat of God, it, it, it fuels leadership, discipleship. It fuels church life, worship life, prayer life. It fuels everyday life. We need less of us. And more of Jesus. We need less business strategy. And more listening to the heartbeat of God. Kind of moments. And so when we think about church gatherings. Singing songs. Having fellowship time. We got Danishes over there by the way. Church commissions. Committees. Other meetings that we do. When we do church events. Whether it's in reach or outreach. When we think about our life groups. When we think about missions. Local or abroad, when we think about denominational stuff, when we think about church membership, ministry council, church budget, canned food drives, things like special, uh, uh, special Sundays like Harvest Sunday. I think before all that good stuff happens, may it all start with simply experiencing Jesus and rejoicing in his goodness. Before we do any activity, may we too Lay our heads on the heart of God. He is a good God. So may we lean into Jesus and maybe we'll hear a new rhythm. We'll hear his heartbeat. And it might sound like this. A new command I give you, Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another.